0: Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Charlie Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org.
1: Today on CityCast Denver, the winter snow high up in the Rockies is melting, and all that crisp, beautiful mountain water is rolling down into our creeks and streams. For a few weeks at least, water is bountiful on the front range. But KUNC's Luke Runyon knows that won't last. He's back on the show today to tell us about his new podcast, Thirst Gap, and what we can expect from another hot, hot summer. Today is Monday, May 8th. I'm Paul Caroli, in for Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Luke Runyon, welcome back to CityCast Denver. Thanks for having me. So, Luke, we're talking about your new podcast, Thirst Gap, which is excellent. Perfect excuse to have you back on. I gotta say, in the first episode, there was a moment where I felt like you were speaking to me directly. Like, you were talking about this experience you had last summer where you were being inundated with uh, interview requests from journalists like me, asking what's happening. How, How did that moment feel for you?
2: Well... You know, this the last few years on the Colorado River have been kind of a, a whirlwind. Um, and some of that is just because of the the kind of weather and climate conditions that we were in. You know, we basically had three relatively dry years in a row, which is the thing that, you know, when I interview climate scientists or people who know a lot about the river, they were for years they were like if we get a few bad years in a row things are going to get really dire on the Colorado River really quickly and when we saw that happening in real time all of a sudden everyone else kind of caught up and we're like oh we should probably be paying attention to what's going on on the Colorado River cuz things are getting really bad really quickly
1: yeah i mean and people are interested like we see that reflected in our um our audience engagement on water related issues people really do care our audience obviously is here in Denver where you know we feel it but But I'm wondering about the reality. You know, there was another moment from um, the first episode where one of your sources, Eric Kuhn, who's a a former Colorado River District General Manager, I think. Is that right? Yep, that's right. He talked about the word crisis, Um, but he was saying the current moment, a lot of people would use the word crisis. I would use the word transition. We're transitioning to a crisis. So if this isn't a crisis, what do you think a crisis would look like? Well, this is one of
2: those, you know, people call it like a wicked problem where there's no like one solution to water crisis, the, the water crisis in the Southwest. There's sort of many solutions and there's many different problems that are kind of all going on at the same time. Um, but like the big overarching macro problem in the Colorado River Basin is that there's just not enough water to meet everyone's needs um, we have oversubscribed the river there's more water on paper in the form of water rights than there ever has been actual water in the river um, and so the the point that we're at right now is having to shrink our demand for water to match a declining supply and what Eric is kind of talking about is that people have seen this coming. You know, this is often referred to as like a slow moving train wreck where you can see the train off in the distance. It's hurtling towards us. But we were kind of like, let's just push that off for a little while. Let's, you know, put some band-aids together to try and like fix this problem in the interim. But the, the big train, it's not here yet. Let's not deal with that. And what those three dry years in a row did was the train got a lot closer um, and we could see it very clearly on the horizon. And now everyone is saying like, all right, we really need to have this hard conversation about how to use a lot less water in the Colorado River
1: Basin. I think that's an apt metaphor, but it's like a really, really, really slow moving train. Like This was obvious from when the first, like, I don't know, John Wesley Powell, who's the namesake for Lake Powell. He went down the Colorado river and he saw this, he knew this, there's not enough. This is what politics are going to be like in the West was water. We knew from the beginning. So is there some, I mean, this is your struggle. I feel like communicating this very, very slow moving crisis. How do you, how do you think about that? Like, where are the important things to you?
2: It, you could kind of take it in a few different directions. So, uh, you know, when I was setting out to do this podcast, there's one way, you know, you could take take it down a path of like really delving into like the state's craft and all of the, you know, bickering states in the Colorado River Basin and the federal government and how it fits into the picture I feel like it's kind of been done. Like, we, if you want to find that, you can find that. Like, there's lots of people who are covering that aspect of the story. What's harder to find is how people on the ground are actually affected by the water scarcity that's playing out in the Southwest. And so that's really the tact that I wanted to take. Um because, you know, there are people who are feeling the scarcity, you know, and we visit with a lot of them over the course of the series, whether that's, you know, houseboaters at Lake Powell, uh, folks on the Navajo Nation who are dealing with water scarcity, uh, you know, people who are ripping out their lawns in Las Vegas, farmers who are kind of under a lot of pressure to use less water. Those are the people who I wanted to meet and talk with because of, so often you end up getting, you know, sound bites from all of the various states and political entities that are that are dealing with this issue but you don't often hear from the people who are actually feeling the impact on the ground that's what i tried to do
0: this episode is brought to you by the colorado wine board because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. I do want to talk
1: about the politics a little bit, the upper basin, lower basin stuff, the different states. I know, um, I know you said you know that's not where you like to focus, but I have to have your perspective on this because our lawmakers here in Denver at the beginning of the session said water was going to be a big priority, yet they have failed to do anything, it seems to me. I mean, they were talking about a bill that would just be like, we need to have a task force, we need to do another committee, but that they couldn't agree to that even. So is that important?
2: Yeah, this this sort of gets at the disparity between the upper basin and the lower basin of the Colorado River. So the upper basin is made up of Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, and New Mexico. Mm-hmm. The lower basin is California, Nevada, and Arizona. And these are legal entities. Mm-hmm. And over the course of many decades, the lower basin... Which includes, you know, like Los Angeles, Phoenix, these, you know, really burgeoning uh, urban areas, sprawling agricultural areas. They've used above and beyond their a- allocation of Colorado River water. They've gotten closer to actually being within their allocation, um, but by and large, the vast majority of the river's water is used in the lower basin. That. Has left the upper basin to feel like maybe don't feel the same sense of urgency around using less. Interesting. And have been reluctant to embrace some of the large cutbacks that are being talked about in the lower basin just because they say, you know, we don't we don't have enough water to kind of fix this problem. This is really a lower basin problem. You guys have to you have to cut back big time in order to bring the river into balance. And, and so that's sort of at the root of that disagreement um, and why there isn't the same sort of sense of urgency in the upper basin that you find in California and Arizona.
1: Right. Yeah. So they're like inaction is them saying like, we're good. You know, this is not our responsibility right now. It's actually on you all. It's kind of a similar dynamic to the urban rural divide. Interesting. I, you know, this is one of those issues where you get turned around.
2: Well, and you hear that exact phrasing from water leaders in the upper basin basically saying, really, this isn't our problem right now. This is the lower basins problem because they use more water than we do. This is the place where we're actually going to solve the problem is in the lower basin. So don't be looking at, towards the upper basin to actually fix this problem right now.
1: So we're talking about the upper basin and lower basin divide a little bit. I learned in your podcast that that distinction derives from the 1922 water compact, the Colorado River Compact we've been talking about. Um, And you kind of were making this point that the reason why that compact failed is because uh, not all of the people who use the water were at the table to negotiate it. But now we kind of have a different, uh, different understanding of how this should work. I mean, Deb Holland is the Secretary of the Interior now. She's a member of the Pueblo of Laguna Tribe. So, what what is going to be different now? Now that there is a broader spectrum of voices at play.
2: It's. Still kind of TBD. Um, you know, like if you're looking at it from the tribal perspective, you talk to a lot of tribes who say, you know, we've we're more involved now than we ever have been. Right. It's still not an equitable situation where we have an equal seat at the negotiating table alongside all of the, the various states that are participating in these talks. You know, if you look at like the environmental community, I think they would say the same thing where like oftentimes One thing that's left out of these conversations is the fact that the Colorado River is an ecosystem that, you know, there are plants and wildlife that depend on this as well, not just people. Um, and those perspectives are being included more now than they have been before, but it's still not like the focus of the conversation. The focus is on water for people. Um, and some of these other things are kind of like s- side conversations that happen. And oftentimes the environment is the biggest loser. I mean, in in terms of, you know, water for the environment, in Colorado, and in many other Western states, you can completely dry up rivers. And that happens often. Um, And a lot of that water is going towards agriculture, or drinking water for people. And, And so that's, you know, that's kind of like baked into the way that we manage water in the West, which is really unfortunate.
1: Looking to the future, Luke. You know, you you mentioned that like what you focused on in the podcast was these moments where you can see in real people's lives how the water crisis is you know changing the way we live. But uh, the future, I want to talk about the future this summer, but also the long term. What what can people here, our listeners, what can they look for? What what are they going to see this summer that could show them that things are changing? Well,
2: one thing that we're watching right now is the fact that we had a extremely wet winter in the Rocky Mountains which is giving a pretty significant boost to some of the Colorado rivers uh, largest reservoirs like Lake Powell and Lake Mead. This is not like an ender this is not a mega drought ender or uh-huh. you know by any means but it's uh it's definitely helpful for you know ensuring that we have enough water to you know keep in- ensuring that there's hydropower production at Glen Canyon Dam and you know that the the reservoirs aren't going to hit dead pool within the next you know 2 years um so that's one thing that we're watching right now is is this tremendous volume of water that's entering the Colorado River system and so we're we're paying attention to you know, all of the the different negotiations that are going on within the states.
1: You mentioned a word that I don't know a lot of people would know because I didn't know until this morning. And uh, when I read it in the New York Times report about this stuff, Deadpool, I was like, oh, yeah, Ryan Reynolds, that guy's so funny. But that means something different here. And it kind of like blew my mind when it was explained. Can you explain what Deadpool is?
2: Yeah. So if you're thinking about a giant reservoir, you kind of have like a few different scary elevations as the, as the reservoir drops. One is called Deadpool. And that essentially is you're unable to physically pass water through the dam. And so nobody wants this to happen because it would, you know, that would be a definite water crisis in the Southwest. If any of these giant reservoirs hit hit Deadpool, they're not threatening to do this anytime in the next Year okay, because of this wet winter that we've just had, and definitely not within the like the next, you know, several months. So this isn't like something that people should be freaked out about right now. But what we were seeing is in the models that the federal government put together to manage the river that this was a possibility you know, a couple of years down the line, if we're not able to change our water use. So this is really where the federal government started kicking things into gear because they saw in their own models that this very scary future was possible. Um, and that's what drove a lot of the action.
1: That's the kind of like dramatic turning point that would really change things, I think. And you think maybe, I mean, a few more dry winters after this wet one could happen.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've been directing people to look at uh 2011. So that was the last year that we had a really crazy high snow year in in the mountains. And I'm sure at the same time in the winter and summer of 2011, people were like, "All right, we fixed it. Like that's it. The thing is over and we've <laughs> solved all of our problems." But 2012 came right after 2011, and 2012 was one of the driest years on record for the Colorado River Basin. So these things can change on a dime. This isn't, uh, you know, this is a highly dynamic river system um, that you can get really high years and then you can get extremely low years back to back, and we could be back in the same situation a year from now.
1: Well, speaking of how crazy this, uh, this river is, um, I have one last question. I, I actually, I have to ask this because I did not understand this and my colleagues had to explain it. Uh, Thirst Gap, the name of your podcast, is that a pun on thirst trap?
2: Yes, it is.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Do you want to, uh, spell that out?
2: Well, actually the working title for the podcast was thirst trap, but, uh, It had horrible search engine (laughs) optimization. Um, You know, you would my podcast would have been would have been buried way down on Google. You would never have found it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it was, you know, kind of a. I'm a millennial. I like a good I like a good internet pun. Um, and so that was the working title, but we ended <laughs> up going with thirst gap because you know, really what we're talking about is this gap between water supply and demand. And so gap felt like a better word than trap because trap makes it feel like there's no way out. Gap feels like, oh, we can find a way to close that.
1: Well, Luke Runyon, thanks so much for coming to Talk Water. Uh, We'll put a link to Thirst Gap in the show notes so people can listen to the whole series, which I highly recommend. I'm enjoying it. I can't wait for the ending. Thanks again for coming back.
2: Thanks so much for having me. This is always fun.
1: And here's what else Denverites are talking about. Parking. City Council decided last week to postpone their discussion of a proposed crackdown on abandoned vehicles because, according to Axios Denver, the ACLU had some major issues with the original proposal. They argued that council should wait until the next mayor gets into office so they can coordinate a broader solution beyond just the abandoned vehicles issue. But also, the ACLU said that some of the provisions were overly broad and could potentially lead to discrimination against marginalized communities, including people who sleep in their cars. And speaking of the pandemonium on our streets, Westwood reports that Lyft introduced a new fleet of 300 next-generation e-scooters to Denver earlier this month. They feature mounted phone holders for easy GPS access and new safety stickers. It's unclear to me if they were designed to withstand water damage, but I'm sure we'll know soon enough when one of these suckers gets unceremoniously tossed into the Cherry Creek. that's all for today here on CityCast denver if you enjoyed the show why not take a minute to tell secretary of the interior deb holland about us rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter hey denver by texting denver to 66866 we'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city see ya
0: all the time all the time every like Yeah.